Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5-10 Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. I want you guys to keep your scriptures open this morning. If you have, uh, if you closed it, open it right back open, because you know, we're going to be getting into this. Looking forward to what God's doing. As I start off, I want to ask you: So, when you're looking for a church, what are you looking for in a church? What are you looking for in a church? This is a question that I will. Um, ask oftentimes in our membership classes. Uh, this is often a, a, a statement that is given to us as people are, are visiting us and joining us for worship and say we're looking for a church that fill in the blank. Sometimes we hear something like we wanna, we're looking for a church with a dynamic youth ministry. We're looking for a church with an appropriate music ministry. We're looking for a church that is beautiful. We're looking for a church with a powerful preacher. We're looking for a friendly church. We get all sorts of different answers about what people are looking for in a church. And uh, praise God that he is giving us his word to be able to help us understand what he's looking for in a church. Now we know there's no perfect church out there because once you enter that building, once you enter that church, that fellowship, you have just made it imperfect. I'm doing my part up here. I'm making it very imperfect. Uh, so there's no perfect church, but there are wonderful churches. There are faithful churches. Um, and they're becoming Fewer and fewer and fewer. To be biblically accurate, to stand for what the Bible has to say, and to do so in tremendous love for God and love for people. And this is the way that we as a church, we're striving to be, and I hope you get to see that through the scriptures here today. Uh, we are not a perfect church, but we are striving to be a wonderful church. I wanna take a look at our map, uh, where we were looking last week, uh, about where this is, this is happening uh, here in the book of Thessalonians. Uh, let's take a look at the map that what, where we were looking here uh, last week. And so this, we get to see Paul's second journey, okay, his second missionary journey, and he's traveling quite a bit. And we can see Thessalonica up there towards the uh, top left up there, 
And um, I want to show you uh, today what that, what that looks like. If you pull up Google Maps, you're going to see Thessaloniki is right there. You can see the same three little fingerprints of Greece. This is modern-day Greece. And so uh, I think we should arrange a field trip pretty soon <laughs> for us to go and enjoy uh, biblical history here, okay? Um, I want to describe a little bit, if we go back to the previous map one, one time, please. Uh, I want to describe for us a little bit about the, the, what this city was, was like at the time when Paul and Timothy and Silas came through and preached the gospel. And I'm going to, I'm going to use the Bible to explain that. But uh, at this time, the, the city population was about 200,000 people, you know, a little bit bigger than what we are currently here in Fort Collins. And this city was a, a, right on the trade transport, right on the Ignatian Way. There's highway, their, their highway at that t- particular time, they would travel all the way down to Rome, Rome. And they also were right there on the Ignatian Sea where there was part of a lot of sea transport. It was a high commerce city. It was, a, it was quite a cosmopolitan city at the time. Um, but it was, uh, at Paul's side, this is a great place to plant a church amongst a ton of idol worship, a ton of pagan religion, uh, full of Gentiles and uh, a few Jews, okay? And so it's in this place that Paul and Timothy and Silas decided to begin to preach in the local synagogue. Paul had right to do so. And uh, he was quite persuasive, as we learned last week, in three uh, different Sabbaths, he got to share the gospel with these people. I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read this for us, but I want you to follow along with me because we get to see biblical history happen right in front of us of what Paul is describing, what it was like when they came and shared the gospel for the very first time with the church at Thessalonica uh, that was developing. Okay, So chapter 17, verse 1 of Acts. Now, when they had passed through... Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, and listen to how clearly he says this, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He's saying this right into this synagogue of Jews and Gentiles assembled. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a great many, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But, in contrast, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men from the rabble, some goons and geeks from the city, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out, out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. 
I share this with you because I want you to know that this, this letter, 1 Thessalonians, that is being written by Paul and being sent to the Thessalonians is, is about a year after this occurrence that just happened in Acts chapter 17. Paul was so troubled, we'll see in 1 Thessalonians chapter three, Paul was so troubled about how is this young church doing? This church that we planted in this hostile city that was received with great hostility as these, uh, these jealous Jews gathered around them a bunch of, of people to create this tremendous mob and created a big disturbance amongst the city leaders. Paul was so concerned about this, he had sent Timothy back to, to take interest in this small little church. And we get to see in this passage, in this, in this passage that we're discovering here today, we get to see the beauty of this young little church. Paul was so concerned about it, sent Timothy back to take a look at it, to investigate how they're doing, and Timothy is reported, man, they are doing so well. They are doing so well. Let's take a look. Gather with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to take a look. Uh, what makes this church wonderful? What makes a wonderful church? What makes a wonderful church? Number one, we see it's gospel-driven preaching. It's gospel-driven preaching that makes a church wonderful. This is incredibly important. It's not preaching by itself, but we're going to unpack here a little bit here about what makes preaching effective. What makes preaching influential? What makes preaching life-changing? First of all, we see it here in the text, is, is, it involves the Word. And we read in Acts chapter 17 how Paul was preaching from the Scriptures. He was preaching from the Old Testament about how Jesus is going to be faithful, true Messiah to bring all things new. And we get to do this today. We get to preach the Word. We get to preach the Word. It has, preaching has got to include the Word of God. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but secondly, in power. In power. This power comes not from voice inflection or pumping veins out of somebody's neck and forehead. This power comes from the Holy Spirit. This power is what is, it makes thing, the preaching effective and useful. And that's what Paul is experiencing here. Paul looks back and he's thinking about those times that he was preaching, those three Sabbaths. Uh, at, at times, I, I, I feel this. Um, when I'm preaching, that where I believe that the Holy Spirit is, is gathered in the place and the word is being proclaimed, that you can, you can just begin to see how people, how the Holy Spirit is guiding people and softening their hearts and reorienting their minds and opening their eyes and their ears are hearing something fresh and anew and clear. Uh, I'm so thankful that this past Tuesday as us elders met for prayer for you as you tell us what you would like prayer about through your, your, your uh, connection cards, we prayed for you. Um, we prayed for you Vacation Bible School uh, servants. And I especially prayed for the teachers who are going to be teaching God's Word. I, I was praying that you would feel the power, the strength of the Lord as you are sharing this wonderful, wonderful, beautiful, influential gospel, and that the children would just be moved. I was praying even that the people, uh, as parents are gathering to gather their kids at the end of the day, that there would be servants, there would be servants out there taking great interest in these parents, 
and saying, we love having your children here. We'd love for you to come join us as well. Do you have a church that you join? Do you have a church that you worship at? How can I help you worship? We're praying for boldness. We're praying for courage because this is the example set for us by the church of Thessalonica. This is God's idea of a wonderful church, a church that observes the gospel, shares the gospel, and relays the gospel. So power, we're praying that the, 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 the Vacation Bible School teachers this week would be teaching in great power. And if we have 156 currently, uh, praying for next week, we're going to have 156 baptisms back there. <laughs> Sunday morning, we'll just skip the, the sermon, you know, and just do baptisms all morning long. Praying. Thirdly, I want to say that what makes gospel-driven preaching so important for a church to make a church wonderful is is full conviction. Paul was not up there saying, oh, I kind of think, I kind of sort of think that Jesus might be this Messiah. He was clear. He was saying, this Christ, <laughs> whom you killed and God raised from the dead, is the Messiah. He is here. And they are, he's convinced of it. So this gospel-driven preaching came with the word, came with power and full conviction. And lastly, I say last, is the Holy Spirit. Because I, I believe the Holy Spirit is involved in the, third, in the Word. The Holy Spirit is involved in the, in the power. And the Holy Spirit is involved in having full conviction. The Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, you do not have gospel-driven preaching. You do not have uh, a sermon worth listening to, really, without the Holy Spirit. So we get to see Paul doing this. What makes a wonderful church is gospel-driven preaching. Secondly, what makes a, a, a wonderful church is Christ-like behavior. Christ-like behavior. Take a look at this. When it says here in verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there. When it says you became imitators, uh, that Greek word mimetes is where we get our word mimic. So imitators is, is the translation here. You imitated you imitated us. Uh, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Not just imitators of Paul, Timothy, and Silas, but imitators of Jesus. That's what Thessalonica became. And he is praising them for that. This is, uh, and Paul continues this language on in later, later letters. He's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the, the image that we are supposed to be doing is, is becoming disciple makers. Disciple makers, disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's how this church began, is disciples making disciples. So they walked into a relationship of imitating, mimicking. Do you guys remember, the, if you're old enough, you might remember uh, when you were in class, you got to do mimeograph day, where you got to play with this purple ink that had this unique smell to it and kind of got on your fingers. But if you were the student assigned to make mimeographs, which today is copies, off of a copier machine, uh, this was a lot more fun because you got to roll it. Can you smell the ink in the room if you're old enough to remember that? They mimicked them. They wanted a carbon copy. They wanted you to imitate what Jesus is doing in these guys' lives. And they were successful in doing so. But look, remember, remember how they came about receiving this wonderful gospel truth was in a hostile environment. It was in a hostile environment there in Thessalonica. It was not something that was easy to listen to 
this new gospel way of Jesus being the, 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 the risen Savior. So they had welcomed the message in spite of the suffering involved. And look at what Jesus has done here through these, the preaching of these men and through the reception of these people. These people, they're engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. If you've been around here some, that might sound a little bit familiar to you. It comes from our mission. Take a look at our mission here at the church. It's to exist, we, as a church, we exist to glorify God, to make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. How cool it is. How interesting it is that here in the text we get to see that in a, a, a turbulent, uh, crisis-filled environment where they're basically creating an uproar that these people have received the gospel with joy. How unexpected is that? How unexpected is that? But that joy is delivered as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is evidence, folks. This is evidence that God is doing a great work with his people that he's calling to himself. He's doing a great work in that. These people are responding with joy. So we need to pay attention to that because in this world here that we live in here today in 2023 in Fort Collins, uh, northern Colorado, it's gonna become harder and harder to live out the gospel and give an account for the gospel for a world that is not interested in it. It's gonna be combative and we need to come prepared. So the cool thing is here that we get to see what happens next is as they mimicked Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they mimicked Jesus, they've imitated Jesus. Now look what, they have, what God is doing through them. Let's read uh, verse seven and eight. So that you, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Their faith in just a year's time has reproduced all throughout Macedonia, which is a region, and Achaia below it. All of Greece, about this church in Thessalonica. God is doing a beautiful, wonderful work in this, this, this small little church, just a year old. A tender church, just a year old. And how is that happening? Because they have now become the example. People are taking notice of them. Paul and Timothy, as they're in Corinth, they, they're not having to broadcast about what God is doing through this church in Thessalonica. It's happening amongst itself because word travels quickly when it's good news. That's what's happening in this great little young church in Thessalonica, this cosmopolitan city where the, the gospel is ringing true and changing lives and people are finding peace with Almighty God. So what makes a wonderful church? We know it's, it requires gospel-driven preaching. Paul, Timothy, and Silas provided that and equipped men to do that in their absence. Secondly, Christ-like behavior. We need Christ-like behavior to be evident amongst many people. Now they are the example as they have mimicked and imitated Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and Jesus. Lastly, what is needed is conversions. What makes a wonderful church is conversions. Converting to Christ. Not just sliding from church to church, but church people are coming to trust Jesus. 
Come and trust Jesus. And Andrew, brother, I loved hearing you say that in your baptism today. You're learning to trust Jesus more and more. Aren't we all? We're all doing that. We're all doing that who are turning to Christ. Evidence for this conversions here we see in chapter 9, I'm sorry, verse 9, verse 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Some evidences that I see of conversions being important for a wonderful church I see is that they, these people turn from idols. That's what it says in, in verse 9. They, they turn from idols. They turn from their idol worship, which is very, very popular and very much accepted during that time in, uh, of the day. That was, idol worship was, was common. Pagan worship was common. But look what modern missionaries have to, uh, have to struggle with is as they go to reach unreached people groups, tribes that still continue doing idol worship, okay? Idol worship can look like there's a lot of fear. You have to keep treating the idols with great reverence because you don't want to disrupt. You don't want to disrupt and anger the idols, okay? So listen to what is shared here. A tribe's traditional idols have a tremendous hold over the people's minds, hearts, and lives. For centuries, they have lived in superstitious dread of them and in obedient submission to them. The very thought of breaking away from them fills them with alarm as they fear the Spirit's revenge. This is a, a, real, a real thing that they, need to get, that they are choosing to give up to follow Jesus, to turn from idol worship, to turn. Looking at the idols this way, turning from that in repentance and going the other way to follow Jesus. This costs. This disrupted families. But they were convinced that Jesus is the only way. They were convinced that Jesus was the truth and the life. They were convinced of that. So they gave up their idol worship. But that's something that we don't really, in this modern city, familiarize ourselves with all too often, you can, anticipate, you can, can hear that working in a, in a remote village somewhere, but what, so do we not have idols here today? In Northern Colorado in 2023? We do. For more sophisticated, there's more sophisticated idols, maybe we'll call them God substitutes. God substitutes of modern secular cities that are equally as powerful. Think with me, folks. What are our modern-day idols, our God substitutes? Can it be our pursuit of, of status? Who are we friends with in our school classrooms? Can it be a pursuit of fame, our pursuit of wealth? what our social media is driving in likes? Can it be our dependence on internet technology? Have you had your phone die on you before? Have you ever had your laptop go on on you and you try and figure out how do you do work? The internet dropped down for you and how do you access the world? Where's our dependence being found? Where is our interest being groomed? 
Maybe it's body image. Maybe it's achievement. I asked Pastor Dale, uh, part of our preaching team, and he, he represents more of our uh, M&Ms, our more mature people. And he says, oh yes, yes, there's the pursuit of comfort, of, of, of beautiful vacations, easy life, reasonable health, you know, reasonable health, you know, a few aches and pains, but not, just no cancer, just none of the bad stuff. He quoted, he finished by quoting off, he says, just leave me alone and let me enjoy it. Yeah, the easy life, the retirement to the big, soft recliner chair and the remote control and a glass of iced tea. Just let me be alone. Turning from idols is an evidence of conversions for this Thessalonica church. Turning from idols required them to do so at a cost. It does come at a cost, and it comes at a cost for you and I. In our modern day, God substitutes idols. Secondly, the second evidence I believe that is required for conversion to help make a wonderful church, and that is active service to God. When we read that, the end of verse 9. And for they themselves report it concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to serve the living and true God. They were active in their faith. They were active in their service. They could not help but to engage in participation about what God is doing. So they brought what they came to learn later was their spiritual gifts to, uh, to help and access, and, and they gave of their money and tithes and offerings to make sure the gospel continued to go forward they engaged in active service to God. Zach mentioned earlier, there's still places, there's plenty of places for you to engage your faith and come alive to the gospel in service to God here at the church on Sundays and throughout the week. Let us know how we can engage with you in that. And lastly, I'll say the, the last bit of evidence that we see from God's word here about why conversions represent a wonderful church is is they anticipated his return. They anticipated Jesus' return. Paul instructed them saying, Jesus is coming back. And they believed it was going to be coming at any moment. At any moment, Paul believed throughout all of his writings that his return was imminent. And today we feel the same way. Today we teach the same way. His return is imminent. Are you prepared for Jesus' return? Are you prepared? Those of you who are in Christ, in Christ, that your faith is in Jesus, He has made the preparation true for you. He has made all preparations for you. For those of you who are not in Christ, those of you who do not yet know Jesus as your Lord, as, as the Lord, as the Savior, what is your strategy to approach Almighty Holy God. What are you going to rest upon? Your good works and good wishes and good wills? You will fall so 
very far short. Listen to how this is described for us about Jesus and his return. I've got it on the screen for you. But when he comes, he will accomplish the final stage of our salvation. He will rescue us from the outpouring of the wrath of God. God's wrath is neither an impersonal process of cause and effect, nor is it a passionate, arbitrary, or vindictive outburst of temper. It's neither one of those. But his holy and uncompromising antagonism to evil with which he refuses to negotiate. One day, his judgment will fall. It is from this terrible event that Jesus is our deliverer. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only the Jesus way can provide you passage from the fury of Almighty God. There will be no tolerance of evil on the day of the Lord. There will be no tolerance. Zero. Zero tolerance. Jesus is the only way, by the grace of God, has he established us to have faith with Jesus. And he provides that avenue for you today. If you have yet to receive Jesus, today's your day. Receive him. Receive him as your Savior, as your Lord. Jesus is the mighty way. Jesus is the only way. And listen to how we've been waiting for Jesus to, to return. And those of us who are in Christ, in Jesus, who have responded to his tremendous act of grace, we long for his return because he's going to make things, he's going to make it all well. But why is he... Why is he waiting is a question that's often asked. And that makes me think of 2 Peter 3.9. And it says, the Lord is slow about his promise. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So those of you who are not in Christ yet, The Lord has been patient with you. But don't test him in his patience. He's given the most tremendous, beautiful gift of all, and that is his son. His son that whoever, whosoever should come unto faith in Jesus will have life and have it to the full. As he talks about anticipating his return, I saw this happen last week a faithful sister in Christ here in the church. She was uh, sitting right around in there. And we were talking about 20 minutes before the worship service was to begin. And, she, and uh, I said, how are you doing? How are you doing? She goes, I'm really, I can't wait. I'm, I'm anticipating my friends coming to church today. And she kept looking through the windows of the doors out to see if they're, if they're coming. Kept looking, looking over my shoulder as we're talking. Kept looking, anticipating, because the, person, the people said they were coming. You know? And I was like, That's, that helps me think about Jesus and his return. Jesus says he's coming back for his church. He's coming back for all those who, would, who believe in him as the Savior. 
as the Messiah. And so we long with anticipation, waiting out, looking outside the doors for our friend to come. For those who are in Christ, we're, we're longing and waiting for Jesus to come back. He said he would. And his return is at any moment. It's imminent. What makes a wonderful church? What makes a wonderful church? I think we can see clearly today that it, it's not about a beautiful building with beautiful stained glass and how tall the, the steeple is out front. It's not a building. In fact, we know the scriptures teach church is not a building at all. It's the gathered people, the gathered followers of Jesus. That's what the church is. What makes a wonderful church is so it's not a building. It's, it's not necessarily a powerful preacher either. It's not a certain ministry that is provided. It's not in a location in town or a beautiful website or anything like that. It's, it's not that at all. What makes a wonderful church is a church that receives the gospel and passes it on, just like the church of Thessalonica. Receives the gospel and the beauty of the gospel that transforms us transforms you that we can't help but to pass it on. To pass it on. Again, the mission of our church, if you could show that slide, is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. This is what God has called us to do. This is what we've sifted from the scriptures about what he has for us to uniquely do in this place, in this time right now. It's going to cost us something, folks. It's going to cost us something. But the joy that he brings continues to motivate us forward. He provides it all. We have such joy in Jesus because of what he has provided. Let us go forward together in this wonderful mission he has given us. Do you want to be this kind of church? that we read about in Thessalonica. If you do, then everyone in this room, everyone on live stream at home, we need to take a step towards Thessalonica and take a step towards Jesus. Let's bow together in prayer. As we go to God in prayer, let us engage the almighty, almighty God And as I pray, I just want you to think about what steps you can take. What steps is God uniquely calling you to take? So Heavenly Father, we come before you in your throne of grace with great admiration for who you are and what you've done. We adore you. We worship you. We want to align our hearts with your word. We want to bend to you and not you bend to us. So Father, will we be obedient to give a gospel witness? I pray that you would empower my friends in this room and at home to ask for boldness to give the gospel hope that we have. We trust you, Holy Spirit, to do the work. We're just supposed to be faithful. Will we join in relationship with someone that we can imitate? 
God, would you put on our minds right now someone that we could reach out to in fellowship, in relationship, in love, and say, let's get together for a cup of coffee. Let's get to know one another better. Will we turn from empty idols and toward Jesus? Heavenly Father, creator of all heaven and earth, you are so much more worth our time and attention and adoration over so many different empty idols that we pursue. Forgive us. And will we join you in active service to Jesus and his church? Lastly, we eagerly await your return, Jesus. We want to be a church that is like Thessalonica that is anticipating your return. Paul says it's coming. We believe it's coming. We want to be ready. We want to gather as many people as we possibly can by your grace and your grace alone to receive you. So if there's people in this room even now who are saying, I'm, I need Jesus. That's all I can do. I need Jesus. I, I don't know what else to say, but I need Jesus. I pray that, God, that you would share upon their hearts to take that step, take that next step, and receive you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for this beautiful gospel. It gives us tremendous hope uh, away from ourselves and towards you. We love you and pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.